17 hours without food, all of a sudden your cells sense that the blood sugar is continuing to decline and it will trigger a healing process called autophagy. Autophagy is where the intelligence in that cell will look around and it'll go, oh my gosh, there's no food coming in. We better get more resourceful. So it will start to eat up, literally eat the bad parts in the cell that are not making your cell function properly. It will kick out viruses and bacteria. Sometimes at, when autophagy is stimulated, the cell looks or the intelligence in there goes, gosh, this cell's going to go rogue. It's going to turn into a cancer cell. I better kill it. That's called apoptosis. So cancer cells will start to die off starting at 17 hours. At 24 hours... Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and I am so excited for today's guest. Dr. Mindy Pels is an expert on intermittent fasting and just general fasting for women. She has a good book out on menopause, but another book that she's working really hard on that has six different fasting strategies for women. Um, I'm really excited to talk with her to pick her brain on some of the nuances for fasting with women, because it is different with our hormonal uh, fluctuations, both during our cycles, but then, you know, before and after menopause. So that's what we're going to talk about today are the benefits of ketosis, the benefit, the benefits of using fasting, but how to do it in a way that really works well with our bodies. So Dr. Mindy, thank you so much for joining the show today. Oh, thank you for having me, Morgan. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, me too. Well, let's go ahead and dive into it. Um, first of all, how did you, you know, get into this field? Give us a little snapshot of your story. Yeah. You know, what's really crazy is that I was, I was just saying this to somebody the other day, like I didn't set out to become a fasting expert. Mm -hmm. Um, I found it for my own health journey. And the short version of that story is that at 40, I felt amazing. I feel like it was the pinnacle of my health by 43. I was a hot mess, uh, physically, mentally wasn't sleeping, and I was searching for answers on what had happened to me in three years, despite my lifestyle changing. Mm-hmm. And um, what I discovered is that as a woman over 40, what your, as your estrogen levels decline, your insulin, you become more insulin resistant. And so you can live literally the same life at, with the same habits, but all of a sudden those don't appear to be working for you. So I dove into the research on fasting started experimenting on it for myself. And it became such a powerful tool that I I really was able to bring my health back on track and then taught it to my online community, watched it work for so many women that I just, I couldn't stop talking about it at that point. Isn't that funny? It's kind of like you find what works for you. And then you're like, I can't, I can't not share this. And I think that's when we know that's our calling is when we can't not do it. So So I'm I'm right there with you. Um, And you're really the first person that I've been following who talked about 
um, cycling and fasting, you know, and fasting for women. And so can you talk to us a little bit? Um, let's kind of dive in right into, we can either do the ketosis or the fasting, which one do you want to start with? Well, let's start with how our body's designed, because I think then the two of those will come in. And what I think we do not realize, I mean, I know you realize this, and I know your audience is, is very educated on this, but this modern world, as convenient as it is to sit on my couch and order, you know, DoorDash and have food show up at the front door, this uh, uh, availability of food where we are eating all day long is absolutely out of design yeah. with the human body. We are designed to eat our food in a compressed period of time, leaving a longer period of time for fasting. This is how the cave women did it. This is how our primal ancestors did, is that they actually went long periods without food. And in that, they were able to tap into this ketogenic energy system. They were able to tap into this place where ketones would come and fuel the brain and bring inflammation down. So why fasting's working so well right now is because you're mimicking what the primal ancestors did, which is how you're designed. Right. So right. I think that's like the first thing. And then the second thing on the variation on that, I would say, is that they didn't have a dinner schedule. Like those, they had to basically go two, three days without food. They'd make a kill and then they would feast. And then they might feast for 24 hours and then they'd go, they didn't have refrigeration. So they would have to go two or three days, days without food again until they found another, uh, another thing to hunt. Mm -hmm. So this is how we're, we're made to thrive. And we are not doing that when we're eating six meals a day. We're not doing that when we're snacking all the time. So we have totally lost sight of this, what we call feast famine cycling. And that's what we've got to bring back. Right. So talk to us a little bit more um, about, I, I say intermittent fasting. I actually like the term time restricted feeding a little bit better because I always say we, we intermittently fast every day. Like anytime you're not eating, you're fasting. So talk to us about what do you consider to be intermittent fasting? Is it not eating for 12 hours a day or 14 hours a day? Like when are we starting that time? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So let me give you kind of a rule of thumb that the, and everybody's different because we have our own individual path with how we process food. But I'm going to give you a general idea that about eight hours after the last food piece of food went into your mouth, your insulin is usually coming down enough to be able to switch over into what I call the fat burning state, where you are now burning energy from fat. So you got to at least go eight hours. But what it typically I find is it takes about 13 hours before the benefits of fasting come in. So ketones will kick in about 13 hours. Uh, your inflammation's down, insulin's coming down, glucose is coming down, uh, growth hormone is going up. Those, it, so that real bliss of fasting usually happens at 13 hours of, with no food. So to me, intermittent fasting is 13 hours. It starts mm -hmm. there. Okay, that's a, that's a good distinction. Um, so can you talk about the the switches that you've talked about? I know on other interviews before about fasting, like 
someone's fasting for 13 hours, what's the benefit if they go to 18 hours versus 24 hours? So let's kind of start with the benefits of different lengths of fasting and then talk about more of the nuances on um, how to do these effectively throughout our cycle. Yeah. So here's the best way to look at it. You have two energy systems. You have your sugar burner and your fat burner. So once you've moved over into this fat burner energy system, then each hour you stay in there, more and more healing happens. So 13 to 15 hours, like I mentioned, you usually start to get some ketones, your um, inflammation's coming down, your body's going to find extra glucose it's stored in fat tissue um, or other musculoskeletal areas or maybe your liver. Um, so th that usually happens at somewhere between 13 to 15. 17 hours without food, all of a sudden your cells sense that the blood sugar is continuing to decline and it will trigger a healing process called autophagy. Autophagy is where the intelligence in that cell will look around and it'll go, oh my gosh, there's no food coming in. We better get more resourceful. So it will start to eat up, literally eat the bad parts in the cell that are not making your cell function properly. It will kick out viruses and bacteria. Sometimes at, when autophagy is stimulated, the cell looks or the intelligence in there goes, gosh, this cell's going to go rogue. It's going to turn into a cancer cell. I better kill it. That's called apoptosis. So cancer cells will start to die off starting at 17 hours. At 24 hours, you get a reboot of intestinal stem cells where your digestive system goes, okay, we haven't had food in 24 hours. I'm going to start to repair this internal mucosal lining of the gut. I'm going to start to create an environment where the bad bacteria is not welcome. The good bacteria is, and this is all for your survival. So you can reset your whole gut. 36 hours, you are burning fat like nobody's business. And you, when there's tremendous studies showing that, uh, that your fat burning capabilities are at its highest at 38, at 36 hours, uh, 48 hours of fasting and your dopamine receptor sites in your brain start to reset. You get new dopamine neurons that form the pathway for dopamine gets repaired. Anti-aging, um, antioxidants get turned on like 48 hours is pretty darn miraculous for mental health and for slowing aging down. And at 72 hours, you're the switch for repairing your immune system specifically white blood cells will start to happen. Old white blood cells will slough off, new ones will form. So, I mean, that's, uh, that all, that you didn't have to do anything <laughs> that was completely free. Yep. It was free. I mean, I think it's a little bit tricky from a mindset place of, of, you know, encouraging people to start doing a little bit longer fasting. There's a lot of fear around hunger. Yeah. Uh, there's fear around, well, what do I do about my medications? So before we get there, I know I've heard a story that you had an Achilles uh, tendon injury. And yeah, so right. you said 72 hours is a great, um, you know, a great goal, but doesn't something happen after that even too, where you might see additional benefits? Yeah. So about 72 hours, you'll also get stem cells and stem cells are really unique. So at 24 hours, we get intestinal stem cells, but at 72 hours, we get systemic stem cells. And what they will do is they will go and find any cell in the body that's not healing properly. And the stem cell will go and fix it. 
It's we have stem cells a lot when we're kids, when we're little, because we're growing and repairing. And the but when we age, we stop getting stem cells. And we people are paying thousands of dollars right now to get stem cells injected into their face, into old injury parts to slow aging down. And you can actually get that by going into these longer fasts. So the the story I used was I had an Achilles tendon injury that was not going away. I tried everything to make it go away. And I finally decided I'm just going to go ahead and give it a water fast. So I went five days because the stem cells will kick in at the third day. So I wanted to go two days where I, I was just living off stem cells. It went completely away, like literally gone, never came back. And that all happened just from tapping into my own chemistry. Yeah, that is, it's fascinating. Um, I think that there are certain certainly indications that we have to talk about for when that might not be appropriate. So can we talk about, you know, breastfeeding when we're pregnant, if we have medications, um, maybe the different times in the cycle where, I don't know, what do you want to say? I, I really want to get into the 24 to 48 hour fasting range too, because that's my personal next goal for yeah. fasting. Um, yeah. But let's talk about general indications first for like, when is intermittent fasting really not desired or appropriate? Yeah. So there's a couple of times. The number one time is when you're pregnant. Like this is not the time to fast. My, our, my, like I call her my right hand gal, Jessica just had a baby and we were, we'd been fasting together so much. And then when she got pregnant, she was, I walked into her office one day and she was like feeling horrible. And I'm like, did you not eat breakfast? This, so we had to completely switch her whole eating profile and get her back on track eating all the time. Because when you're pregnant, that is fasting is not your tool. If you're nursing, you just want to make sure that you don't go 17 hours of fasting because you'll stimulate autophagy. And with autophagy comes this cellular death. And it's a detox that can happen as these cells die environmental pollutants, heavy metals can come out of that cell and your body will go to get rid of them. And breast milk is a way, a place where it will dump toxins into. So just don't go 17 hours. And then the other one that I think is really important to talk about is if anybody has an eating disorder, um, I really strongly feel that you should be working with a practitioner that understands how to navigate fasting for you. Um, I've seen it work really well and change people's relationship to their food. But if you know you have an eating disorder, um, really work with your professional, whoever's coaching you through that. Yeah, thank you for those. I thought the autophagy um, while breastfeeding was really important. So yeah. what about if someone does have a lot of heavy metal exposure or a lot of toxins and maybe their, their products that, that they're using, environmental toxins? What are some ways that they can um, help bind those toxins as they're fasting to get them out of their body and yeah. not just recycling through their body? Yeah. So there's there's two binders that I like. Um, one is called a zeolite. It's a naturally occurring um, su uh, substance found in the earth that attracts heavy metals. So the product we use is called Cytodetox, and we have a whole system around that. The second one that I like are activated charcoal. And that what the, what's exciting about activated charcoal is it'll bind to toxins in the gut. So as your body is detoxing itself and dumping these heavy metals out, you want to make sure you're having bowel movements and you want that activated charcoal in there to bind to those toxins. 
-hmm. Outside of that, a couple of things we've done with our community is we'll have them go uh, take baths with Epsom salt baths. Um, you can do activated charcoal in your bath. I've seen people do that. Clay mat, clay masks, clay, you know, act um, different mineral clays that will go into a bath. But yeah, you just want to be aware that there is a toxic uh, uh, consequence that can happen, especially with the longer fast. Do you think that's, um, I've heard of like the keto flu, if you've heard of that term, I'm sure. Is that what the keto flu kind of is? Is someone's yeah. body releasing those toxins because they're finally getting into um, autophagy and having a, having a chance to repair some of those unhealthy cells and cleanse their body? Is yeah. that really what the keto flu is or is there something more to it? No, that's exactly what it is. And here's the thing about just the state of ketosis, whether you use intermittent fat or fasting to get into ketosis or you use diet. What we have to acknowledge is that once you are making ketones, you are in a healing state. So people go to ketosis to lose weight. That's great. That's, that's awesome. But it's not like going on Weight Watchers or losing weight at the gym. This is a different healing effect. And so when your body heals, it will start to push the bad stuff out. And it can feel like flu, uh, like a flu. But mm -hmm. we've been so taught to villainize symptoms that when that happens, we go, oh my gosh, this isn't working for us. But actually, it's working perfectly for you. And if you know how to navigate those symptoms, then you won't be, you won't shy away from the fact that that is a healing response, not an inconvenience. Great point. Let's talk about how to navigate those symptoms. So you said the the two binders, what about headaches? Because that's something that I hear a lot. Um, yeah. something, someone's trying to intermittently fast and a barrier or an obstacle is that they get a headache. So yeah. hydration, obviously, what else do you think of for kind of tips to help with getting, reducing the headaches during fasting? Yeah. So a couple of things I would say there is for sure. Hydration is important. Um, again, we're back at the binders of activated charcoal, you know, add that in to make sure that you're grabbing onto any of those, those chemicals. Um, the other thing that really surprised me as we started to fast so many people is how many people are mineral deficient. So a lot of times, this is the way I look at fasting. It's like somebody put a mirror to your health. And it, as you are starting to fast, as these symptoms come up, you can be inquisitive about them. Like, mm -hmm. huh, I wonder why that's happening. So with a headache, if I was consulting you, I would say it's probably because you are releasing heavy metals. That often happens. Um, and you probably have a mineral deficiency. The, the food that our, uh, the soil that our food is grown in right now is so depleted. Most people are walking around with a mineral deficiency. Mm -hmm. So the first and easiest thing to do is add some minerals back in and see, like whatever your mineral choice is, add it back in, see if you like it. If it changes the headache, then you know that was that that headache was because of a mineral deficiency. Now you know what you need to work on. If you uh, get a headache and you put a zeolite in, you know, in like the cyto detox I'm talking about, you take a couple drops of that. If it goes away, hmm, now you know you've got a heavy metal issue. So it's you can use those symptoms as reflection for yourself to understand what you need to work on. Mm -hmm. I like that. So. 
any other tips regarding like potential symptoms that someone might feel? So yeah, let's use me as an example. I've done a 24 hour fast. And I kind of told you offline that my stage in life with um, my workload and my young kids, I just haven't felt motivated to do anything longer. I want to, but I haven't felt motivated enough to actually do kind of that next 36 hour fast or 48 hour fast, which I would consider like a spring cleaning type of fast yeah. um, for greater autophagy and cancer prevention. What tips would you give me um, to make it easier and to reduce that mental barrier, you know, that yeah. I feel of, well, I, I'm going to miss my food, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to miss eating with my family. Like what yeah. tips would you give me? Well, you know, the first thing I would say is you want to have a really big why. So why would you do a 36 hour? If you are trying to lose weight and you have tried everything and you're stuck, then, you know, the mental barriers go away when you know 36 hours is that I call it my fat burning reset. If you know that that's going to unstick your weight. So I've seen some pretty remarkable things happen when people are motivated to lose weight, to go in those longer bouts. Um, the 48 hour is really about resetting happiness. So if you have depression or anxiety or, you know, lack of joy in life, that there's a good chance that a good old fashioned 48 hour fast is going to reset those dopamine pathways. So I think the first thing is to understand why you're doing it. The second thing is to start to train yourself to do it. So um, I like, it's, it's like a muscle. So if you've been doing 24 hours, um, I would say the next easiest thing for you would be the 24 hours I would encourage you to do is finish eating lunch at like, let's say noon, then go all the way until lunch the next day. So you're just skipping dinner with your family. And then when you hit that 24 hour mark the next day, ask yourself, okay, can I go till dinner? Mm -hmm. And then once you get to dinner and you can then break it, now you're like 36 hours in. So sometimes the timing of that meal really makes a difference because with a lunch to lunch sort of scenario, you're still eating. You're eating one day. You're just not eating until lunch the next day or lunch to dinner the next day. So that would be the second thing I would try. And then, um, you know, the, the, the other thing is you have to understand, like, is it boredom that want, makes you want to eat? Is it a state changer? What are those things? So, so using myself as, as an example, then to work into these longer fasts for more fat burning and more autophagy, and just for my, my coaching with my members and my clients, I know that there's a few barriers that can still come up, you know, even after you identify a strong why, um, even after you ease into it. Um, so a couple things would be, I'm still cycling, you know, I'm as we record, I think I'm on day 26 of my cycle, right? So about mm -hmm. to get my period, when should someone capitalize on these longer fasts during their cycle? And why? Yeah, so let's, let's go through the cycle. Um, and I'll kind of explain each piece of it. Um, because I think if you look at it in the entirety of the cycle, it's really helpful. Okay. So the first thing, day one through day 10 of your cycle, day one being the first day that you bleed, that you have to use feminine care products. That's often a question is like, what's the first day? But day one through day 10, your body is going to, on day one, your hormones will be at the lowest. 
And for those first 10 days, you're going to work on making estrogen. Estrogen thrives when insulin is down. So that makes this time period a phenomenal time to go into the longer fasts. You will help estrogen out, plus you will be able to get the healing effect of the longer fast. So if you wanted to go into a three-day water fast, then absolutely perfect. Now, once you move into ovulation, now from about day 10, 11 to day 15, you've got three hormones that are surging through your body. You've got estrogen's been made, you've got testosterone coming in really huge, and you've got a little bit of progesterone. So each one of these hormones needs something different. So um, progesterone doesn't like cortisol to be spiked. So you would not want to go into a very long fast at that point. In fact, during that, that ovulation window, I recommend... 13 to 15 hours, you don't do more than that. Um, The other thing is that testosterone and estrogen really needs you to focus more on food at that point to be able to break those hormones down and get them out of your system. So that ovulation period is actually a great time to switch your focus from fasting really long to I'm going to eat some foods that will help me metabolize these hormones. Then when you come out of ovulation, day 16 to day 19, if you want to throw a longer fast in there, 24 hours or more, totally fine, or day 16 to 19, and then day 20 the week is usually the week before your period, progesterone is coming back in, you don't want to fast then at all. And so, so 13 hours, like eat, eat. Pretty, I would do three meals, you know, within that yeah. frame. Okay. Yeah. If Why you are an experienced, if you're an experienced faster, 13 hours that will be fine that week before. But if, if not, I mean, I even have to really get women to not fast and to eat breakfast at that time. I'm sure. Yeah. Like a, like a 12 hour you're saying maybe the week before. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And why is that so important to help support progesterone that we um, don't intermittently fast or don't restrict our feeding during that week before our period. Yeah. So um, the thing to know is that progesterone will diminish when cortisol goes up. So this is not just for fasting. This is for exercise. This is for stress. Anything that stresses you the week before your cycle is going to tank progesterone. And progesterone is the hormone that tells us everything's going to be okay. It calms us. So it also is the hormone that regulates blood flow when we actually have our cycle. So if you are under 40 and you are have a regular cycle, you just want to make sure you don't throw that cycle off by raising progesterone with the longer fasts. If you are over 40 and going through these per- perimenopausal years, I mean, progesterone is going away already. The last thing you want to do is cause any more tanking of progesterone. So, and then the other thing I want to say on this that I think is so important is that our bodies are so brilliantly designed that that week before your cycle, you are actually more insulin resistant. Your body will actually raise glucose. I have seen it on women's CGMs all the time. Mm -hmm. So why is it doing that? Because it needs more glucose to make progesterone. 
So there are some foods we can lean into. I love the um, potatoes are really great for the microbiome, sweet potatoes of all kinds. Even beans can be great. Citrus fruits are awesome. Fruits in general can be good at that time. Quinoa, rices. So you, you want to lean into these non-key squashes is a huge one that I'm a fan of, but you're not supposed to be in ketosis at that point. So mm-hmm. Let's take food, let's shut down the fasting, let's nurture progesterone. And then once you start bleeding, boom, go back into your fast, your longer fast. Yeah. And I think if someone's hearing this for the first time, it can be pretty eye-opening. Yeah. And I think that sometimes intermittently fast, intermittently fasting feels great or intermittent fasting. Sometimes it feels terrible, you know, and yeah. usually it probably feels harder the week before your period. But maybe you just haven't put the the pieces together yet. So I'm hoping that Dr. Mindy just did that for you. And you're realizing it's okay to not have exactly the same fasting schedule or exactly the same diet. You you need uh, less stress, less hormetic stress by a longer eating window. You need more healthy carbs the week before your period and then during ovulation. So really good information there. Now, what about if someone doesn't have a period anymore? You know, they're postmenopausal, what do you recommend for them? Yeah, so postmenopausal, we, you know, you don't have to think about a cycle, which is great. So there's nothing to time it to. But you still have to think about progesterone. In fact, you don't have, you know, that's the lowest you'll ever have and the lowest in estrogen. So the first thing with postmenopausal women, they love fasting because that lack of estrogen has made them insulin resistant. So they it, they can all those symptoms of, that have stuck around after they went through menopause, the hot flashes, the weight gain, the moods, that can all be helped with some of the longer fasts. But we also have to step out either on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. I, I Right now I'm telling people weekly until the new book comes out. When it comes out, I've got a postmenopausal plan for women. But you know, once a week, step out of ketosis, make sure you're eating those foods I just talked about to raise progesterone and then go back in. Mm -hmm. So you just have to mind it. There's just no cycle to time it to. Yep. And I think that's a different way to say that helps keep you metabolically flexible. You know, you're leaning into um, more, a more ketogenic approach, not necessarily all the way keto, but a lower carbohydrate diet, intermittently fasting during the week, that allows you to tap into your fat stores for fuel. Then once a week, you are giving your body some healthy carbohydrates, you're stimulating insulin, you're reminding your body how to digest carbs. So I hear this all the time, I had ice cream, and I gained two pounds the next day. Well, you can become metabolically inflexible, one way or the other, you know, like, uh, only knowing how to digest carbohydrates, only knowing how to digest fats. And so I think what you're teaching is very much in line with what I've learned through my own research on metabolic flexibility, just kind of said a little bit differently. So yeah, really good point there. What about medications? So we know that a lot of people are worried that if they fast, their blood sugar is going to get too low. And we know that we have physiological mechanisms in place in your body to prevent that from happening. It actually is great for stable blood sugars. But what if someone takes a blood sugar medication, and they're fasting? Uh, How do you navigate that conversation? Well, the thing about medications, I'll tell you, is that you really need to be in collaboration with the doctor that put you on that medication. 
Um, and this is one of the reasons that we're trying to get the message of fasting out to, to doctors so they can understand how to work with their patients who are and these medications. So do not change anything that your doctor has told you. You've got to figure that out or with them, with their collaboration. And on, on my YouTube channel, I try to put all the science. I tell people, send your doctor there um, right. because it's really important that they understand the science behind it for them to get behind fasting for you. Now, having said that, there are some medications that raise your, that will raise your blood sugar, lower your blood sugar, can affect that fasting window. So you're going to have to experiment and see. This is why I like the CGMs. This is why I like the Keto Mojo blood readers. Something that can give you an indication of if your blood sugar is being affected by your medication. The same thing for supplements. Supplements can affect your blood sugar as well. But honestly, I find that the shifts in blood sugar based off of those two things are very subtle, and they typically won't destroy your what I call your fasting lifestyle. The most important thing is that you don't, if you don't mess up whatever the original schedule of medication was that was given to you, don't change that just because you're fasting now. Okay. And again, talk to your doctor, you know, yeah. really talk, Hey, I'm going to start intermittent fasting. These are the current medications you have me on. Are there any considerations that I need to keep in mind when yeah. I'm taking these? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And on that point, I just want to say that one of the greatest articles on intermittent fasting that has ever been published was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is one of the most respected publications to the medical community. And basically, they came out and they said, we've looked at over 1,500 different research studies, and we are saying that intermittent fasting should be the first line of defense for about eight different conditions. And here were the conditions or some of them, diabetes, uh, pre-diabetics, pre obesity, um, fatty liver disease, um, a couple of cancers, some cardiovascular disease, um, MS, like they have a list in there. So this is how you speak to your doctor is show them that science. And that's, that's on our YouTube channel. You can find that, but yeah. I'm going to link to that in the show notes to that article. It's super important because they even give a fasting schedule in there. And that was the real turning point. It came out December, 2019. And that was the real turning point that I saw the medical community start to go, okay, I need to get to know this. And if your doctor doesn't know it, you might need to educate him or her um, about that article because it, you know, uh, I have so many thoughts on, <laughs> on how their decisions are made. But, uh, you know, if, if fasting is going to take you off medications, you know, big pharma is not going to be very excited about that. It's true. It's true. I think that uh, I'll just leave it there. We, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of different uh, medical providers on the on the podcast before I actually am really excited. I think I'm going to have a local primary care physician on the on the podcast. And um, she's lost a lot of weight. And I think that that'll be a really good person to ask. You know, you're a primary care physician. Like, how do you navigate these conversations with your patients when they come in with this new idea? You know, and, yep. and what um, what do you appreciate uh, regarding a collaborative approach? You know, what's the best yep. approach a patient can take? I think um, a, I think a collaborative. I just want to point out that if you walk into your doctor's office and they shame you, 
Um, if you walk out feeling less hopeful about your health than you did when you walk in, it's time to get a new doctor. Yeah. And that's um, that it, you need, you are, a, you are a team with your doctor. And if your doctor is not approaching you that way, don't let them, don't let them put you in a different category. It's so important that you have a really solid team around you that's supporting your health. Yeah, absolutely. That's yep. And I think that my members for sure know that like just today in office hours, someone was like, I'm taking a statin. I, I want to know how to have that communication with my physician. Can you give me some insight? So we talked about different things there, but I want to dig in a little bit more into um, fasting for cancer prevention. There is quite a bit of research on this. And so can you maybe share some of your favorite studies? And then I want to get into the fasting mimicking diet. And I want your thoughts on that. Um, it's something that um, is new, newer to me. And so I'm asking experts like you and Cynthia Thurlow, she's coming on here again, um, what your opinions are on that. Yeah. Well, okay. So the, one of the greatest studies done on women, we have very few women only studies in fasting. And part of that is we just are hard to, to study because we're all at different points of our cycle, but this yeah. one was really cool. Right. So it's, it's, it's part of who we are, but anyways, that's a whole other, that's a whole yeah. other story. Um, but the, the study was done on women who have gone through breast cancer. And what they found is that women who had breast cancer that had traditional conventional treatment, if they came out of that treatment and all they did was intermittent fast 13 hours every single day, they didn't even time it to their cycle, 13 hours of fasting every single day, they had a 64% less reoccurrence of that breast cancer than women who did not fast 13 hours. Now, there is tamoxifen, there is no drug that's going to give you that kind of healing statistic. So why aren't we, why aren't we being told that? So that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing is that we used to think cancer was a genetic condition. We are now seeing that it's a mitochondrial condition, most cancers. So one of the ways you know your mitochondria are sick is when you cannot go long periods without food. And you, you, in order to make that switch over into this fat burning place, you need healthy mitochondria. So when you first start to fast, if you're hungry, you're struggling to get into ketosis, it can be a sign to heal your mitochondria. There are three ways that I love to tell people to heal their mitochondria. One is get the toxins out of your food, get the toxins out of your, your beauty products, out of your environment. Switch your fats up. Stop eating the toxic fats. I'm sure you you tell your community this. All about yeah. those toxic fats. Yeah. yeah. Eat, eat more good fats and then work on regulating your blood sugar. If you do that, you will then you'll be able to switch over into this place. But for cancer, it's amazing. And for cancer prevention, I mean, I, I go into three a three-day water fast at least once or twice a year just to get rid of any cancer cells that may be growing in my body. And that's why I do it. And there is quite a bit of substantial good research behind that, but it can be intimidating. And so just to give you a little bit of background here, I was going to have someone on the podcast to talk about intermittent fasting. who was a professor at Harvard, um, very well respected. And um, he was promoting a fasting mimicking diet. And as we were talking kind of like we did, before we were offline, I'm like, whoa, 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 
this is a little new to me. Um, I'm not quite sure how to, how to speak about this without confusing my audience. And so we ended up just having an offline 45 minute conversation <laughs> about this fasting mimicking diet. And so their whole premise was, you know, we've designed foods to not trigger the nutrient sensors in the cells to keep the body in a state of autophagy without um, that intense hunger that you were talking about. And I was like, well, that's a hard sell because you're wanting someone to fast, but you're wanting them to eat your food products while they fast. And so I, you know, he, he was from Harvard, like he's obviously very well educated. And so I was like, I got to do more research there, man, before I had you on the podcast, I just need to learn more about it. So can you give me any insight uh, that you have regarding these fasting mimicking diets or fasting mimicking diet foods? Okay. Yes. I have a lot of thoughts on it. So let's yeah. give, let's give it some context. Okay. For starters, the one of the things that put fasting on the map was Walter Longo's study on the three-day water fast. So if you're not familiar with Walter Longo, he has been a fasting researcher out of the University of Southern California. He has definitely done a tremendous amount of, of uh, scientific background on fasting. And he's the one that discovered that you can replenish these white blood cells when you go into this three-day water fast, which is great for anybody going through chemotherapy. Well, he became so excited about it that he, he said, well, I don't think the common person, the everyday person is going to do a three-day water fast. What if I work with the nutritional content of food, I bring calories down, can I still get the same effect? So he studied what they call the fast mimicking diet. And the fast mimicking diet is keeping calories around 800 calories a day. It's a very specific combination of food. And what he had them do was five days out of every month, this group of, and they did it primarily on type one diabetics, which is quite impressive. So five days out of the month, they would do the fast mimicking diet. And then they did that three months in a row. At the end of three months, what they saw is these this group of type one diabetics actually started regrowing cells in the pancreas. Like, Pooh, mind blowing. That is incredible. And so he came up with the fast mimicking diet. So we love it for, for stem cell production. It can be amazing. Here's where it falls short. The only way to reproduce that study exactly the way it was done is in these prepackaged fits. And um, ultimately, what they're trying to do with these prepackaged foods that's so great is they want to put it into hospitals instead of getting junk when, you know, ensure, uh, you know, and really toxic food when you're in there. Their vision was, let me give you this prepackaged food that's going to help promote healing. So people got really excited about it as like a five-day experience, but I have found in my community and for myself is that it's easier just to take food out of the equation when you're eating a little bit of food. It's, it's not that easy. It's actually easier to go without complete food. Second thing, the packaging is for me too much environmentally. It's a lot of plastics. It's a lot of um, waste. And it doesn't really make sense when you can just do it by your, 
water on your own. And then the third thing is, is expensive. What I love about fasting is fasting's free. And my big vision for the world is that if we're going to change people's health, we need a free tool. We need a time efficient tool and a free tool. And those prepackaged foods are, are not cost, um, um, they're cost prohibitive for a lot of people. Let's just put it that yeah. way. I think that's a pretty good synopsis of it. Um, they did send me like the five day trial. So I'm going to give it a try um, at some point. I haven't done it yet. But I was wondering if you ever did try it with your CGM. And if you noticed, because that's what I said, I said, well, if I'm eating and there's nutrients in there, I see the sugar on the food label. How is my blood glucose not going to up, go up? Yeah. How is my, how are my nutrient sensors not going to be signaled with a rise in blood sugar? So right. I just didn't know if you had any personal experience kind of one and, and if yep. your blood sugar went up on those foods. Yeah. So what I did, because I just couldn't wrap my head around eating those foods all day long is I did compress them into, I think it was about a four hour eating window. So because of that, I, I did get into ketosis. I felt great. Um, it was a very fun experience. It wasn't hard. It was kind of exciting to be able to eat something. Um, I got into a, a deeper ketosis than I would have typically in just like a 24 hour fast. So, and the ketones kept growing as the, as the week went on, the ketones were not as deep as a water fast. So, um, so that would be the only thing I would say is that it's a fun little thing to put into your fasting mix, mm -hmm. not necessary, it will get you in ketosis. Supposedly it'll get you stem cells, man. That's yeah, that's about it. And then I just didn't eat it all day long. I thought that would be too tough to have my, I, I want to, I want my blood sugar to come down and then make it go back up. That's kind of what I thought. I'm like, well, geez, I don't normally eat three meals in a snack. Yeah. This is going to be a lot of work to time all of this food that's for me. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for giving me your insight on that. I just, um, I had to ask because I, I guess that you had had experience with that. I have not had experience with that so far. Um, so thank you. The stem cell stuff is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, the next line of questions that I have for you is breaking a longer fast. So I think that you were talking about, you know, your, your gut actually changes during a fast. So yeah. how do we, um, reintroduce foods without gorging? You know, yeah. it can be easy mentally to say, Oh, I haven't eaten for 36 hours. I can eat whatever I want. Yeah. Can Perfect. Yeah. So there, I have a four-step process that I recommend people do. And typically they, I tell them to do it if it's 48 hours or longer, but if you have a boomerang challenge where you boomerang back into the bad foods, you can follow the same four-step process. So you start with broth and you, and you like bone broth would be great because it has glycine in it and that will help repair any kind of leaky gut. So you can, bone broth is a great start. And then after that, you go into something probiotic rich. For me, I like a fermented yogurt, like a, and I especially like like a coconut yogurt where you're eating a, a um, something that's adding good probiotics in. And the reason for that is that so many of the changes that are happening, happening with fasting are to the microbiome. And this is, you're going to see, this is the newest place fasting is going to start going is talking about the microbiome changes. But every single one of those studies is showing that once you reintroduce food, the changes stop. So if you do broth and then you do a something probiotic rich, sometimes I'll do an avocado with sauerkraut. 
Uh, sometimes I'll do grass fed. I, I do dairy. So sometimes I'll do like a grass fed dairy or a coconut yogurt, but I want to add some probiotics in. Then after you've done that, you would go and steam some vegetables. And so you don't want them raw, lightly steamed would be good. If your digestion does okay with that, you're not like it doesn't bloat you, then you go in to meat after that. So like a three-day water fast, that is an absolute. 48 hours, you could try that. Um, and if you're at 24 hours and you do boomerang, it's nice to set that those parameters up because by the time you've gotten through all four steps, the bag of chips you might have been staring at are, you know, you're not really interested in those anymore. And how long do you wait between the bone broth and then the probiotics? And then what was the last thing that you just mentioned? Uh, pr animal, uh, protein at the very end is protein. So broth, probiotics, uh, steam vegetables, oh. and then animal protein. The, the steamed yeah. vegetables I was missing. So yeah. how long between the steps? If it's a three-day water fast, you want to wait at least an hour. Okay. Um, so if you're trying it out on a 24 hour fast, wait, like, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it's not as you're more doing it because you don't want to boomerang back in. Gotcha. And then speaking of bone broth, I've read in different literature, um, different books, that's, um, a recommended product for kind of transitioning into longer intermittent fastings, maybe to make it a little bit easier. Do you recommend that to your community or how do you use bone broth or is it just to kind of break that fast? Yeah, a lot of people like bone broth fasts and I'm not opposed to them. I think, you know, when I first learned fasting 10 years ago, I would do bone broth because it feels like at least you're gripping to something, you're holding on to something. Um, the problem is it doesn't bring your blood sugar down enough. And it doesn't, it doesn't, because it has so much protein, it won't necessarily get you into autophagy. When you start to mm -hmm. up your protein, you're not getting the autophagy effects that fasting can provide. So that's why I like it as a break your fast. But mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing wrong with a bone broth fast. It's just a different healing effect. Just like there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with a juice cleanse. It's just a different, it's not the fasting we're talking about. They're all great. They just have different healing effects. So it's kind of, in your opinion, maybe the more pure, the better, just like a water fast, even over those three days. So you're not doing tea, you're yeah. not doing black coffee. Yeah. Yeah. When I do a three-day water fast, I don't do, it's just water. Um, and yeah, that's it. No supplements. If you're on medications, again, you got to work with your doctor, but yeah, it's just water. At some point, I'm going to develop the courage to try it. And I think, you know, once I do, it's not a big deal. I think that we kind of build things up in our minds. Yeah. And whether it's, you know, even for some people that could be a 16 hour fast, maybe they've yeah. built up that in their minds that they just have to have their breakfast. Yeah. So it's interesting, because the same like limiting thoughts in my head are also in uh, my members heads. And so it's just to kind of work through those yeah. together. Here's the thing I would say on the three day water fast, I would encourage you to do it. You should do it as a community because it's more fun when you do it together. And here's a couple of reasons why um, it will be though will be difficult. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy. You're going to get a really clear understanding of how you use food and your relationship to food. So for me, the first time I did it, I realized, oh, I use food as a state changer. When I'm emotionally not feeling good, I lean into food. So what else do I have right now that could be a state changer? Good music, go out for a walk, take a nap. So you, you, you develop a new skill set.
Second thing, you will start to get GABA. So as ketones go up, GABA goes up and your whole essence calms. And I got to tell you, it is one of the greatest feelings ever because you, your thoughts slow down. You don't want to talk as much. Like everything about who you are just relaxes. And personally, I love that. The third thing is if you have any problem in your life, if you just, depending on your belief system, you can pray on it. You can set an intention about it. The answer will come to you. I've actually started using three-day water fasts as like a vision quest where when I'm dream thinking up new ideas, creating new goals for the new year, um, I'll go into a three-day water fast and the insights will pop into my head like crazy. So it's a whole different fasting experience that is you don't want to miss out on, but it needs to be like you probably wouldn't want your kids, you know, you'd want to maybe ship, I don't know, ship your kids off to, to the grandparents or for at least part of it. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Everyone's different. I wanted to ask you about electrolytes though, before I let you go. Um, so if I'm going to do a three day water faster for me, I'll probably start at uh, 36 hours um, and build from there. Uh, when do you start recommending using electrolytes and how, or do you? Yeah, I think, I think all fasters should consider electrolytes. Again, most of us are walking around mineral depleted. And so I think that's a really good, a really good thing. Um, I personally take like a pack of minerals and I just put it in my drink every day. So I'm drinking on it. Uh, um, so, but when you're in a fast, you really need to be leaning in the heart palpitations, any hair loss, all of that can be, be because of, um, a mineral loss. So there's really no wrong time to do it. It just makes sure you're adding it in. Okay. That's good to know. I'll have to, so there's some prep, you know, there is some prep that might need to happen for people. You yeah. might need to talk to your doctor. You might need to get some electrolytes, you know, you might need to adjust your, uh, schedule or family <laughs> in my case for kids. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I thought of though is sleep. I'm a young mom. You know, I was up twice last night with my son. Oh. Is that even a good time for me to consider that if I already have that hormetic stressor of pretty much chronic sleep deprivation for like three years? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been there. Let me tell you, my kids are now 22 and 19. So yeah. it gets better. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> You know what? I think that's a personal choice. But what I would say is that if you're already maxed out and your your cortisol is already being tried, adding a three day water fast in is only going to elevate cortisol mo more, which is not great for your hormones. So mm -hmm. you know, my initial would be like just just wait. You know, what you're young, wait for a better season of life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what what I think that's why I have that reservation of like, yeah. do I really want to try that? Because I've talked with my community about this before. You know, I used to tolerate a day long fast. Um, and now if I do that, um, I start to bleed mid cycle. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that you've heard of that, you know, oh, and yeah. to me, that's a pretty big indicator that that's too much stress on my body. You yeah. say, you know, yeah. so. oh, absolutely. You know, think of your period as a vital sign. We've been, there's been a lot more discussion about that recently, which I think is so great. Um, but yeah, if, if your period gets thrown off and the only variable you changed is fasting, this is why you got to fast what I call fast like a girl. This is, that will be the name of the next book is how do you fast according to your menstrual cycle? Because there's an art for women to fast and we need to do it differently than men. 
when we start just randomly throwing these fasts in and longer fasts at wrong parts of our menstrual cycle, it's not doing us hormonally, um, it's not giving us the hormonal um, blessings and superpowers that we have. So yeah. we need to be mindful of where our hormones are at. And I think I, I don't know if I timed that right, you know, when I tried that last 24 hours uh, fast, it very well could have been in the wrong time of the cycle. So I probably should try that during my period week, give it a shot, see how my body reacts, maybe try it um, in a different, you said like there's a little window in there after ovulation before the week before your yeah. cycle that you could try it again. But that's kind of my thought. And I want to, I know I keep saying one more question, but talk about the importance of stress and how going through menopause, you know, really shifts the role of producing hormones from your ovaries to your adrenals and why stress management and proper sleep is so crucial for women in perimenopause um, and postmenopause to dial in maybe before they dial in fasting. Yeah. Yeah. So the, what, what, this was really the premise of the menopause reset. My last book is that at 40, your ovaries are literally like, okay, I'm out. Like, I'm, here. <laughs> no, like I'm going into retirement, but what, the, what happens is it takes about 10 to 15 years. It's not an overnight thing. And in that time, you still need to make sex hormones. So what the ovaries do is they hand over the job to the adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands, if they're already depleted, will be like, whoa, I, I can't take on another job. So what you were able to get away stress-wise at 35, you will not get away with at 45. Those adrenals need nourishment. They need support. They need you to slow down a little more. And if you don't, then you're going to see it in your hormonal swings are going to go up and down. And women who have really bad menopause symptoms, that is the first thing to look at is how do we support those adrenals so they can make some of those sex hormones so you feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And that's why intermittent, like those longer intermittent fasts might not be a good idea because they are a stressor. They do raise cortisol. Right. And yeah. so we, we want to try other lifestyle factors to lower cortisol in your life in general before you add more through intermittent fasting. So, okay, Dr. Mindy, thank you so much for your time. Will you let our audience know where uh, they can learn more about you? Yeah, you can. My, you know, I always say my passion project is my YouTube channel. That's really where I, I do my research and I, I put it in video. I do a lot of tips on fasting over there. So you can go subscribe over there. Um, I, we, you can go to my website. We have um, tons of resources there. Instagram, I show like, if you want to see how I fast, I'm always taking pictures of like breaking my fast and stuff there. So and if you forget all that, just go to drmindypels.com and you can find everything about me there. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate your time and expertise. This was a really fun one for me. So thank yeah. you. And we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the reshape your health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend to learn more and connect online. Check out the links in the show notes.